Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In segment three, Charlie Shiflett. He writes for the China Daily News Organization. He is going to join us from Beijing. You know, we're a year away from the Beijing Summer Olympics. A lot of people are calling this maybe the biggest Olympic Games commercially of all time. So stay tuned for that conversation in segment three with Charlie Shiflett. In segment four, Frank McCourt, the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers, will join me to discuss the largest charitable campaign the City of Angels has ever seen from one of its pro sports franchises. It's called Think Cure, and the goal for the Dodgers is to turn this into the Jimmy Fund of the West Coast. The Jimmy Fund has raised close to $500 million for cancer research over the past 59 years in New England. We'll also discuss what it's like to own one of the truly iconic sports franchises in the United States. Don't miss that conversation in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit our new and improved website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Listen to SBR On Demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach. Nathan, one year from now, Beijing. Huge, huge. You know, there's 1.3 billion people over there. Corporations are really scurrying to get over there in advance of the game. Oh, absolutely. And we've been talking so much over the past year about NBA trying to have a presence over in Beijing. And from what I understand, there's NBA players all over billboards there really trying to hype up those players coming over for the Olympics. And, of course, the presence. I'm sure we'll see Visa and Coca-Cola, Nike and Adidas over there. But certainly a huge corporate opportunity. Well, the key thing here is remember, if you get – 5% of the market share over there. It's like getting 50% of the market share over here. I'm also very excited today to be able to catch up with Frank McCourt, the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think he's a class act. I think one of the things he's really done, he's going back to running the Dodgers like the O'Malley's did as a family organization, not so much like Rupert Murdoch and the Fox News Corps did. A lot of people were turned off by what Murdoch and Fox did, made him way too stuffy in corporate. Well, yeah, and he's doing a lot of great things with the Dodgers and with Major League Baseball as a whole, so it'll be interesting to hear what he has to say. Then we've got lots of headlines coming up. Unfortunately, the passing of one of the great coaches in the history of the NFL, Bill Walsh. He's leaving a tremendous legacy. We'll talk about that next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Bargaining Center at the University of Oregon. Visit warsawcenter.com for more information. Headline number one, Bill Walsh, who changed the look of the NFL with his offensive innovations and legion of coaching disciples, breaking new ground. He won three Super Bowls with the San Francisco 49ers in the process. He passed away at age 75 from leukemia this week, Nathan. When you look at the family tree of Bill Walsh, boy, so many different coaches out there that have won their own Super Bowls from Mike Holmgren to, to many others. But, boy, he had an eye for talent, didn't oh, he? He sure did. I mean, he drafted two of the greatest NFL players of all time in Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. And on top of that, he selected 17 Pro Bowlers in his 10 years. So he definitely had an eye for talent, one of the greatest coaches of all time. The NFL will sorely, sorely miss him. Our next headline, Tony Taylor, one of Falcons quarterback Michael Vick's co-defendants facing federal dogfighting charges said in a statement filed on Monday as part of a guilty plea agreement that Vic supplied most of the money to run and bet on fights at Vic's property in Virginia. The statement provided details on the dog fighting operation and said that Taylor and his code event did typically split the winnings. Now, this is really bad news for Mike Vic because basically, as we thought would happen, one of Vic's co-defendants is now cooperating with the feds and the government, and he's got hard evidence to place Vic at the scene of the crime. Not good news if you're a Mike Vic fan. No, it's terrible news, and i got to be honest. At first, I wasn't so sure of Vic, how much Vic was involved in this. Now we see more and more every day gets worse and worse for Vic. Not only in the courtroom, but outside the courtroom, sponsors are going to start running for the hills, and Vic is going to be left without sponsors and a football team. Well, and another sponsor dropped off the wagon this week. Rawlings is the latest sponsor to distance themselves from Michael Vick. Our next headline, big news, biggest trade in NBA history. Kevin Garnett was traded by the Minnesota Timberwolves to the Boston Celtics. It was a 7-for-1 deal. The Celtics traded uh, five players and two draft picks and a lot of economics to this trade. Basically, the only way Garnett would agree to the deal is if the Celtics has extended his contract. They did that. Uh, a three-year extension worth $51 million. He also has a trade kicker worth $8.8 million. So if you're keeping track, over the next five years, Garnett makes $23.75 million for next season, $24.75 for the 2008-2009 season, $16.4 for the 2009-2010 season, $18.8 for the 2010-2011 season, and 21.2 for the 2011-2012 season. But, Nathan, the good news is the Celtics are cleaning up at the box office and with jersey sales this week. Oh, absolutely. More season ticket holders buying season tickets this year. The Celtics, finally Boston fans have something else to root for other than the Red Sox. You know, it hasn't been since the days of Larry Bird that the Celtics have had this much hype beforehand. And the national TV exposure they're going to get this year is going to be through the roof. Well, and you bring up the national TV exposure. The NBA had their schedule all ready to roll out. They actually pulled it back, delayed it by four. 48 hours this week because now that Garnett is playing in Boston, they wanted to make sure that the Celtics were appearing on national TV. The Celtics, who really haven't been on national TV much in the last few years, are going to appear 19 times on national TV How do you this feel year. if you're a Timberwolves fan right now? Your franchise player gone. He was the face of the T-Wolves. Not real good. Our next headline, the Tribune Company sales of the Cubs has attracted credible interest from about 15 parties. This according to Reuters. Uh, by the end of October, we could be looking at a new owner. Go on to the blog, sportsbusinessradio.com. I've got some real interesting insight. 
This is a pretty incestuous deal. I know, Nathan, you and I would love to see Mark Cuban, the Dallas Mavericks owner, become the owner of the Cubs, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. A guy named John Canning Jr., who is a minority owner of the Milwaukee Brewers, the same Milwaukee Brewers that Bud Selig, the commissioner of baseball, used to own, he is the front runner for this group. Canning Jr. is also buddies with uh, uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, who owns the White Sox. Jerry Reinsdorf doesn't want Cuban to own the Cubs because he doesn't want to be overshadowed in Chicago by the bigger-than-life Cuban. Then Sam Zell, who's selling the Cubs, is also buddies with Reinsdorf. So you know he wants to make Reinsdorf happy, and Reinsdorf doesn't want Cuban as the owner. It's a mess, but it looks like John Canning Jr. is probably going to be the next owner of the Chicago Cubs. Well, really unfortunate because you look at what Cuban has done in Dallas, and as a Cubs fan, you and I hope that he could do the same thing in Chicago, and I'm not so sure with any of the other uh, people that are looking to buy the team. Cuban brings so much life to any sports franchise. I'm really pulling for him here. Well, and this is the perfect example of it's all about who you know, not what you know, because we all know Mark Cuban would bring passion and energy. He'd be a great owner. To a owner. sport that needs it right now, not just about the Cubs. It's about baseball in general. They need more owners like this. Well, but the problem is, is that Major League Baseball owners, it's the good old boy network, and they're all old-fashioned, and they don't want the new maverick pun intended, to come into town, Mark Cuban, and come in with these creative ideas and make headlines. They just don't want that. Our final headline of the week, LPGA hottie, Natalie Golba. She finally wins a golf tournament. She had a streak of 0 for 149 in golf tournaments, so now she's off the schneid. Now the pressure really is square on the shoulders of Michelle Wee and Danica Patrick, who still haven't won anything, Nate. Well, yeah, and you I mean, you got to start to wonder at what point are their sponsorship, you know, their corporate sponsor is going to start to think about pulling out. Michelle Wee is just doing terrible, and Danica Patrick, people have started to forget about her. Remember all the hype two years ago? Now nobody talks about her anymore. Well, in 41 races, Danica Patrick has yet to win a race. A lot of people thought when she moved to Andretti Green this season, that might be the start of some wins for her. It is not amounted to anything. And then we look at the career that Michelle Wee has. She's got huge deals with uh, Sony and Nike, and she's been injured most of the season. She's got some, some not controversy so- rounding her, and you know she hasn't even been close. She has. She's been the worst player on the tour. Well, and she's going to be going to Stanford, so she's going to be playing less and less golf. So if you're these companies that signed her to big, long-term deals, hoping that you were going to get a lot of exposure out of her, boy, that's not going to be the case. No, not at all. And, you know, you compared Anna Kornikova. We talked about this earlier, and i got to stick up for my girl Anna. She still won two majors in doubles. Don't give me the sigh because doubles is still part of the tour. But she never won a singles title. Maria Sharapova has won singles. That's why Maria Sharapova and now Natalie Golbus have separated themselves from Anna Kornikova. Coming up next, we're going to go to Beijing, China, and talk to Charlie Shiflett. He's with the China Daily News Organizations. We are one year away, 8808 from the 2008 Beijing Games. Many people are calling this the most commercial uh, Olympics of all time, Nathan. Lots of preparations going on. We are one year away, and uh, we're going to go to China, to Beijing, to catch up with Charlie Shiflett from the China Daily. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back.
Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000. The year before you bought the Mavericks, they were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday. <laughs> Or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. You know, we're about one year away from the Summer Olympics in Beijing, China, 8808. So I wanted to bring someone on who's based in Beijing. His name is Charlie Shiflet. He's the editor of the China Daily News Organization. Charlie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Charlie, really a tremendous opportunity for China to showcase their country on the world stage. Give us a sense for how people are feeling about a year before the Olympics start. Well, they're, they seem to be you know, really excited. I talked to someone yesterday, and, uh, and they couldn't believe that, that it is almost only a year away. Um, you know, for a country as big and important as China, um, it has relatively few ways, I think, to promote itself. Uh, and it's and it's kind of the image that it wants people to to see. You know, in the U.S., um, you have so many. The U.S. exports so many things. You know, you have movies. You have you know the, the major um, uh, sports leagues that are followed around the world. You have even you know even with a product release like uh, the iPhone that makes international headlines, even in countries where the iPhone isn't going to be for another two years. So. Um, China, this is the Olympics, I think, is a way for uh, China to, to advertise its country and its culture and, and also, um, I, I think, um, overcome some of the perceptions that maybe exist um, around the world, um, you know, relating to China's history, um, but also relating to, um, you know, they want China, they want people to know you know that China is more than just a, a country with you know lots of lots of business going on and and you know more recently um, of course the press about um, food and and um, different kinds of problems in terms of food and, and exporting out so so this is a, really a chance to put a, a, a big face on China that that they hope is is one that will um, give their country a, a, a new image in the world I think. Charlie, how's the construction for the Olympic venues uh, progressing? From, from what I understand, there's there's going to be 31 venues. Um, 12 of those are are new, and uh, 11 of those are are being renovated from existing structures. And then there are eight of those that are temporary. And um, based upon what I've been hearing and what I've been reading, is that everything is is uh, going well. In fact, um, the last structure to be finished will be the bird's nest, which is probably one of the most um, most famous of these, these new structures that are going up. And um, that's going to be finished in next spring, um, and they'll have a test event there next spring. 
And basically, uh, a lot of the other um, events, um, there's going to be 11 test events this, just this month alone. So, and, and I've already been to a couple of test events, uh, the softball uh, world championships as well as the track and field world championships um, earlier in the past, within the past year. Um, and, and so um, they're coming along well, and from what I understand, they had to even tell the construction workers to, to slow down a little bit, and they didn't need everything to be done as soon as they, as they had thought. So they, they're, unlike, I think, unlike in, La in Athens where things were coming uh, down to the wire in, in Beijing, they don't expect that to happen. You know, the air quality there is a big concern. Uh, obviously, a majority of the competition's taking place outdoors. What is Beijing doing to try and purify the air before the Olympics? The biggest, probably the biggest change that I've noticed since um, coming to China in 2002, um, I've been here, on, living here on and off since 2002, the biggest change that I've noticed um, is the, the number of trees, the number of parks. They've really made an effort to put in a lot of trees um, on median strips and on the roads. Um, there's been, um, especially in a lot of the new developments, lots of parks that have been put up. Um, and... You know, especially uh, like for instance, even this summer, uh, they've they've uh, asked um, like shopping malls to raise the thermostat to to 26 uh, degrees Celsius uh, to to preserve energy, and and they're they're trying to get their people to become more conscious of energy use. Um, but you know, in the same time, you still see taxi drivers throwing out wrappers out the window, people walking down the street and, you know, they're done with an ice pop and they lay it, you know, beside the, they lay it in a, you know, in a bush or something like that. You still see signs of that, which um, you probably see that in any city, but I think um, there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of uh, getting um, people um, to be stewards of their own, their own city, their own environment. We're joined by Charlie Shiflet. He's the editor of the China Daily News Organization. He's joining us from Beijing. Charlie, security, always a big effort for any Olympic Games. Athens, $1.5 billion spent on security. What kind of security measures are we seeing for the games that are going to take place in Beijing? Well, it's interesting that, from what I've read, the, the, they're actually planning to spend less on security than than was spent at the Athens Games. And um, there have been different reasons for that. And one is the, the Athens Games, of course, was the first uh, summer games after 9-11. Um, and in China, there's not a huge, uh, there's not a huge fear of, of a, a global threat of terrorism. In fact, their, most, their biggest concerns um, from, a China, from, from China's perspective are domestic concerns, especially regarding protests, um, from various groups of, of people um, um, in, in some of the, the Falun Gong, um, they have always been kind of a, uh, a gnat in the hair of, of uh, the Chinese government. So the government is, I think, they're most concerned about the domestic um, protests that could come. And so also they have, instead of exporting, or sorry, sorry instead of importing a lot of a lot of um, equipment, security equipment, they've actually relied heavily on their own domestic um, um, equipment and security services. They have the world's largest military that they said that they're going to use, um, although um, they're not going to be on the streets as much as they are going to be around the different venues. 
So they are actually going to be spending less than Athens, at least according to, to what the, the government has said and, and their, um, their, their spokespeople. Charlie, we've got just a few minutes left. Who are some of the American faces as far as athletes that we might see if we were in Beijing right now on billboards, posters, bus sides? American athletes, you have a lot of a lot of them, the ones that are seen everywhere are NBA stars. You know, American football, um, what we just call football, um, and, and baseball just aren't big enough sports here. Um, world football or soccer and NBA basketball are the two biggest. And so you see a lot of billboards um, with, with um, McGrady, um, and you see, you know, of course you have um, LeBron, um, and you have Kobe, who, who is, is, a, is a, probably one of the favorites. Um, Shaq will be here next week um, with Lee Na, and he'll be at, at a, going around China on a tour for, I think, a, I think a five-city tour. So, you know, Shaq, Kobe, um, McGrady, these, these tend to be probably the three um, bigger ones um, that, and, and of course, LeBron James. Um, so most of them are actually NBA stars. And talk to us about, you know, there's 1.3 billion people in China. Talk to us about the corporate presence, whether it's Nike, Adidas, Coca-Cola, McDonald's. We're seeing more and more American business open up businesses over there every single week leading up to the Olympics. Yeah, you know, uh, when I was when I was I remember in that when I was just I was only 15 the Atlanta Olympics and I remember uh, in the lead up to that going to McDonald's and and getting the plastic cups with with the the, the dream team on there and and just this week uh, McDonald's um, is starting a, a new promotional where they've got uh, they've got a uh, plastic cups from four big venues um, uh, historic uh, sites. You see a lot of Nike um, and Adidas ads at the business central kind of shopping district in Wangfujing Street. Um, Nike and Adidas both have a, a very big presence there. Uh, Nike has a huge billboard of Yi Lian as well as a couple of other national team players. Um, Coca-Cola, um, of course, um, is, is, is all over the place. In fact, most of the restaurants that you eat at, um, they have Coca-Cola is predominantly um, um, more often in restaurants than Pepsi, um, and so Pepsi has its own um, kind of presence, especially in promoting young pop stars and and young athletes such as um, Lionel Messi, who is an Argentina football star who was here last week at a huge, or a couple weeks ago at a huge Pepsi event. Well, Charlie, that's all the time we have. I'm looking forward to my trip to Beijing in a few weeks in early September, and I look forward to meeting you in person. Thanks so much for taking the time. Well, thanks, thanks for inviting me. It was a pleasure to talk with you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, 
Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Frank McCourt. He's the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mr. McCourt, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. It's my pleasure. Nice to be with you today, Brian. So, you know, it's a really exciting week for you and the Dodgers family. On Tuesday, you announced the largest charitable campaign by a pro sports team in the city's history. It's called Think Cure. It's a joint effort with the City of Hope and the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles. You know, I know your grandfather, Francis, was a co-owner of the Boston Braves. 59 years ago, he helped found the Jimmy Fund. Talk about this effort, if you would. Sure. Well, it's it's a uh, something we're very, very... Um pleased to have just uh, launched and, uh, and uh, I'm very, very uh, proud to be a part of it. Think Cure is a charity. Its um, purpose is to raise money for cancer research, and uh, its mission is to uh, find a cure for cancer. And, and our, our hope, as well as many, many others, is to uh, you know, eliminate cancer uh, as a uh, life uh, taking disease and make it a chronic and manageable uh, disease, and that's why we have great partners in City of Hope and, uh, and Children's Hospital Los Angeles who uh, focus every day uh, with a great deal of passion and energy and, uh, uh, on cancer research. And, and the Jimmy Fund is, is a model that we look to. Uh, this is, uh, it's nice to know that this can work, and you mentioned the humble beginnings of the the Jimmy Fund way back in 1948, and, and uh, now, almost 60 years later, the Jimmy Fund raises over $50 million per year for cancer research, and we hope to be able to do the same, if not more, here in Southern California. It's incredibly charitable. Let me ask you this. I used to work for a pro sports team, and I know every single day your organization is getting calls from charitable organizations saying, please let us partner with your brand. How did you ultimately decide to work with the City of Hope and also that cancer research was going to be your focus and not some other worthy charitable cause? Well, that, you know, that's a great question. And, and um, uh, we, we, uh, we're very, very committed to giving back to the community. We have three core values here at the Dodgers. One is uh, championship caliber baseball year in and year out. The second is uh, providing our fans with uh, uh, a superior fan experience. And, and the third is being a model franchise as far as giving back to the community. Um, and on that third point, uh, we have the Dodger Dream Foundation, which is our vehicle for uh, giving back to the community. And, and uh, you know, we're in the yes business, so we try never to say no to anyone. And last year, uh, we partnered with uh, over 3,500 nonprofits in the community. That's our commitment to the Dream Foundation continues. Uh, we will. Uh, we're very, very um, committed. Uh, to that, and, and we expect that our relationships with, with all of uh, greater L.A. and Southern California will continue to grow through the Dream Foundation. But because of the number of relationships we have there, um, you know, there's a limited amount we can do with each of those 3,500 or 4,000 nonprofits. Think Cure is very focused on one thing, and that's finding a cure for cancer. Right. And I'm sorry for the length of my answer, but uh, uh, the, the, we chose cancer uh, 
for a couple reasons. One is the, the family's history and being involved with the Jimmy Fund, but, but far more importantly, uh, as Jamie, my wife, and I have been here as stewards of the, uh, of the Dodgers, we've really been uh, moved by the stories uh, of others in terms of their fight uh, with cancer and, and touched by the people we've met, quite frankly. And, and cancer is, doesn't discriminate. It touches everybody, directly or indirectly. And I think that uh, that's, that's clearly why uh, we've chosen this particular cause. ThinkCure.org is the website for more information on this new initiative. You personally, your family is matching the first $1 million raised for this initiative. That's obviously super generous of you. Let me ask you this. I, I hear from some people, some sources I have down in Los Angeles, that at the press conference yesterday, you had your ceramic Jimmy Fun piggy bank. Are we going to see a Dodger night where maybe you give away a Think Cure piggy bank so even the kids can put some money away and give to this tremendous cause? Oh, I think that that's a great idea, and, and uh, we should definitely do something like that because I can remember being a little kid and putting my nickel or dime in that sure. bank. And, and uh, I think, uh, you know, our, our hope is that our million-dollar gift will be matched by, um, you know, a million people each giving a dollar because it's not, it's not as much uh, about how much as it, as it is how many. I think if we can empower and galvanize the community to uh, – to get behind this cause and, and, and really make a difference here. I, I do believe the scientists and the doctors when they say that a, that a cure is um, within our lifetimes, hopefully. It's on the horizon, and whether it's 10 years away or 15 years or 20, it doesn't much matter. I think we're getting closer, and we hope our, our efforts here help accelerate, uh, accelerate us all to the finish line. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We're joined on the phone by Frank McCord. He's the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mr. McCourt, 2004, you took over the Dodgers. Before you purchased them, they were owned by the Fox News Corp. A lot of fans complained that after years of the team being owned by the O'Malley's, they kind of became corporate and stuffy. I really get the sense that you are going back in the direction that the O'Malley's had with a family-run, real friendly, like you said, every answer is yes type of operation. Is that an accurate assessment? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's... It, it, that's that we think is is really a fundamentally important core value of our, our of our stewardship. It's it's baseball is about family and and uh, and it just you know corporations are are really I mean I don't have to tell you that the the capitalist system we have in America is just one of the great systems ever invented and corporations have their role. But I I don't think they're at their best when it comes to. Um, sports franchise ownership. I think uh, sports teams really, they aren't owned. I mean, we don't even own the Dodgers. Uh, the community owns the Dodgers. And, and uh, I think that uh, individuals and families can, uh, because they're part of communities, can relate to that concept far easier than corporations can. And it doesn't make corporations bad. It's just they're not the right vehicle, I don't think, for, uh, for sports franchise ownership, particularly baseball teams, which are so embedded in communities. You're in your fourth season now as the owner of the Dodgers. If you had a mulligan on anything you've done in the first four seasons, is there anything you'd do over again? Oh, boy. I, I, um, you know, I, I, I really I don't think so, and I'm not trying to imply I haven't made no, that's great. mistakes because I, I've made some doozies. But I, I do feel that uh, I've learned from my mistakes, and, uh, and it's made me a better steward by – by uh, by doing different things. I mean, I, I'll give you a very trivial example. Uh, um, you know, I had made a decision to take the names off the back of the jerseys, and, and 
the simple message I was trying to send to the to, to the Dodger community was that you know, hey, look, we stand for the name on the front of the jersey. Right. It's about team. It's not about individuals and so forth. And and um, uh, uh, my wife, by the way, disagreed with that decision completely. <laughs> uh-uh. but, uh But uh, more importantly, the fans also disagreed. I got a lot of feedback from the fans that they preferred the the, the names on the back of the jerseys and and. Um, uh, and we went ahead and put them back on. I mean, the fans are always right. This is about the fans, and it's it's their team. And, and uh, I mean, that won't preclude me from making judgments and uh, that I believe will will help us achieve our three core values. But you know, we're not going to be right 100% of the time, and and uh, and we'll admit it uh, uh, and and move on and correct correct things and move on. So we put the names, for instance, back on the jerseys, and and everybody's learned from that. And most importantly, I've learned from that. And and uh, Listening to the fans, I think, is is uh, the most one of the most important things I can do. You've obviously been a very successful business person. Uh, now you own the Los Angeles Dodgers. You spend a lot of your time there. Share with us, if you would, two to three of your core business philosophies. Well, our mantra in business is high road, long view, and that pretty much embraces uh, a lot of what we do. I, I think I, I have the benefit of uh, being a uh, someone who. who rides on a lot of shoulders before me. I'm in a business that my great-grandfather started in 1893. I represent fourth generation. Jamie and I are blessed with four boys, and they're, they're, uh, they've expressed an interest in being involved, so they represent the, the older boys are involved, and uh, two younger ones are still in school. So that's they're representative of the fifth generation, which we're very, very proud of. And so we have the, the, um, uh, the privilege, I, I, I really think it is, to look at things uh, in a, it, with a longer-term horizon, and I think it takes a lot of the pressure off of the, you know, the quarterly returns and the and the stock prices and so on and so forth that drive um, uh, some some of the shorter-term thinking that we see um, out there. And and so, um, you know, and my folks taught me, as, as Jamie's hers, to just you know always take the high road on things and and uh, think and and situations would work out. And that's so it's high road, long view is is, is our mantra and. Um, I do think the other, the other uh, important um, thing is to is to have a vision and uh, be able to clearly articulate it and and uh, and fine tune it and and edit it as 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 you talk about it with people and and they they make it their own so that everybody comes around a cohesive vision and then lastly but certainly not least get the people in, that's the people uh, who can make the vision a reality uh, find them uh, get them involved empower them. To do their job and get out of their way. That's yeah, great, sure. great advice. In my opinion, you have one of the most diverse fan bases in sports right there in Southern California. I saw earlier this season you reached the 175 million mark. So, in other words, there's no team in U.S. sports history that has drawn more fans than the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah, it is. And, and I don't want to, um, I, 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 I do want to talk about that, but I don't want to do it in any way that, that somehow. Um, uh, is, is negative about fans of other franchises. You sure. Know, but what, we have there's some great franchises in, in, in sports here in, in America, and, and, and uh, they have, and in other parts of the world, they have great fan bases as well. But I do think it is significant that the, the that Dodger fans can boast uh, that their team uh, has had more fans come watch it play than any sports franchise anywhere in the history of sports. 
that's a very, very significant accomplishment. Uh, and uh, we did have the chance to celebrate the 175th million fan coming through the turnstiles, and, and the fans are coming out in record numbers. And that's what really drives this franchise and, quite frankly, I think distinguishes it in many ways. But it's also not just the numbers of fans. It's also the diversity of our fan base. Um, our fans are from all walks of life. Uh, they represent every, uh, every different ethnicity, culture, race, creed uh, in this great country, and, and uh, they really are the face of L.A. And I think the biggest single asset of this organization, uh, bar none, is our fans. Mr. McCoy, we've got time for just a few questions. Uh, I attended college in Los Angeles. I went to Loyola Marymount. One of my favorite things to do was listen to Vin Scully call a game on the radio. I think there's there's not a radio broadcaster alive that can paint a portrait on radio like Vin Scully. Talk about Vin Scully's place in Dodgers lore, if you would. Well, it's it's uh, I, I think he, he, he personifies the Dodgers. I mean, I think if you looked at... Um, you know, if you if you looked up the Dodgers in a dictionary, you know, right. you picked up the dictionary and you'd say the Dodgers, it would talk about class, uh, dignity, uh, compassion, generosity, uh, winning, uh, and so forth. But then there'd be a picture of Ben, and he, I think, really personifies the 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 Dodgers. I think in in many ways he's the most popular Dodger of all time, and there have been great Dodgers who put the uniform on and and. Um, but I think Vin, in people's minds, is is their their friend. Uh, he's he's their he's the person who's you know they've invited into into their living room every night or vice versa, and they're comfortable with him. And he never he gives it to them straight. And and uh, he, he, you mentioned the word uh, uh, you know paint a picture. I mean right. there there are different types of artists, and there are those that use a brush and they paint uh, beautiful. Uh, portraits or landscapes or whatever, and there are others that are uh, use a pen and are poets and write great prose or poetry. And and uh, Vin uh, is is an artist. He really uses words uh, to convey um, uh, images and to uh, to really bring the game to life and 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 bring life to the game. Last question for you: Pretend you're just a baseball fan for a minute, if you can, if you're able to do that. Who's your favorite baseball player of all time, Dodgers or otherwise? Oh boy, I, I think it would be very, very difficult for me to to, uh, to answer that question. And I'm sorry to sort of take a oh, that's a okay. pass on it. I I just um, you know if if, um, uh, if if I were to to to, to think about being a um, a kid again, right? Uh, and and growing up in Boston, and and you know my my uh, my grandfather's uh, Braves had had. had uh, uh, had left for Milwaukee by the time I was born. I grew up a Red Sox fan. I, I think I was impressed um, with Carl Yastrzemski because of his uh, longevity with the team. I think that, that sort of um, loyalty and commitment to the team uh, and the team to the player sort of um, struck me as, as, as a very solid, positive thing. Um, and, I mean, there, he was also a great player and, and so forth, but it was really more that... The, the loyalty factor, I think, and, and uh, so if I were to think of players, um, you know, I sort of, in a couple of great players were just inducted into the Hall of Fame, and they were Absolutely. both players that were they're with their team for the duration of their career. I I I, I I'd like to see more of that uh, as we move forward because I think that 
the bond between fan and team is the critical bond in in in, uh, in sports and in baseball in particular, and that bond is uh, created uh, by individual players who put on the uniform. And, and uh, one of the great things about the Dodgers right now is we have young players who are growing up, you know, right before our fans' eyes, and they're they're beginning to develop a relationship with these players, and hopefully vice versa. So I I really think that. Um, Yaz would come to mind for that reason, but it also he's really symbolic of the type of player and the type of situation that uh, I, I think is most appealing uh, and something I hope we're headed towards with the Dodgers. Well, Mr. McCord, again, hearty congratulations on the Think Cure campaign. For more information on the Think Cure campaign, go online to thinkcure.org. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. Again, Mr. McCord, best of luck. I really appreciate you making time for us this week. It was my pleasure. Thank you for your time. You take care. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for custom fit fine clothing and personal service to match, I call my friend Brian Tacker with the Tom James Company. Tom James' highly trained sales professionals like Brian Tacker come directly to your home or office, saving you valuable time. Brian plans and coordinates my wardrobe so I am perfectly attired for any situation, whether it's a TV interview, a press conference, or a fundraiser. The Tom James Company offers over 500 suit fabrics and 250 shirt fabrics, and they carry all the accessories you'll need, from belts and ties to shoes and socks. The Tom James Company has been in business for over 40 years, and 80% of their business is generated from repeat customers. Call Brian Tacker today at 503-807-7956 or find his information at sportsbusinessradio.com. Brian Tacker and the Tom James Company, the official fine clothing partner of Sports Business Radio. What were the terms that got that big deal done? These guys know. Sports Business Radio. We are back with our final segment on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. An interesting ad campaign to keep your eyes open for starting in magazines in September. Louis Vuitton. Now, there are some... Pretty familiar faces in the campaign, people that you would expect. Andre Agassi and Steffi Groff, his wife, are in the campaign. They can be seen in a hotel room kind of cuddling with their Louis Vuitton baggage nearby. Scarlett Johansson, the starlight, uh, the movie star, she's been in some previous ads. She's got her Louis Vuitton luggage. But Nathan, the guy who I really didn't expect to see in this campaign. Miguel Gorbachev. Mikhail Gorbachev, the former Russian president, and, you know, it's kind of like uh, the old Sesame Street adage, which of these things is doing his own thing and which doesn't belong? Mikhail Gorbachev kind of doesn't belong in this campaign, but you know what? I saw the print ad. It looks pretty good. You know, I'll be honest. I actually kind of think that Andre Agassi and Steffi Groff don't belong in this campaign, at least Agassi. Agassi, in his younger years, was the flashy young player that was in Images Everything, and he totally revamped his image so he wasn't all about the flash. Louis Vuitton, to me, is flashy. It's, it's expensive. It's high-end. That doesn't say the new Agassi to me. Well, see, but I disagree because I can't remember the name of the company, but they did, like, retirement ads, and you saw them playing tennis, and you saw their kid, and it was kind of like, 
you know, they're winding down their careers. Now I think of Agassi and Graf is more, uh, you know, the retired, they've moved on. And now they're, they're buying mature. expensive things or they're sophisticated now? Well, but now they're doing, like, family trips and stuff, and they can afford to buy Louis Vuitton. They can always afford to buy Louis Vuitton. But Mikhail Gorbachev, he doesn't seem that flashy to me, so he just doesn't really fit into this campaign. Scarlett Johansson, I could see her walking around toting it. You know, she's the ad that she's in, she has it on. Uh, it's a backpack that she has. Well, Gorbachev, no, he's certainly a, a face for Russia. I don't know if he belongs in this ad, what would he use the bag for? What do you think he puts in that bag? I don't even want to think. Maybe some vodka. That's that's about all. I, vodka and some really good cigars. Well, we have lots of thank yous on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. It was great to catch up with Frank McCourt, the owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Once again, a great initiative that they have ongoing. They launched this week, Think Cure. Go to thinkcure.org for more information on that initiative. Really the uh, Jimmy Fund of the West Coast. Check that out. Charlie Shiflet with the China Daily News joined us from Beijing. We're going to be uh, going to Beijing in three weeks. So I'm very excited about that trip. I've never been to Beijing. I'm going to go to Shanghai, tour the Olympic venues. It'll be great. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon and ProTrade.com. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast anytime you want. Just go to Sports Business Radio and click on the podcast page. We've also got the newly designed SportsBusinessRadio.com. Check out breaking sports business news during the week when we're not with you. Go to our blog page. It's been a pleasure talking to you this week. Great show. We will talk to you next weekend. You've been listening to Sports. Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Robert Sarver, the owner of the Phoenix Suns. When people come to a Suns game, what kind of an experience do you want it to be for them? We want them to be entertained from the time they walk in to the time they leave. The co-owner of the Sacramento Kings, Gavin Maloof. Gavin, thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Brian. How are you? Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. Sports Business Radio. Saturday. That's why you're a smart business person. <laughs> or at sportsbusinessradio.com.